Welcome back, everyone, to another fantastic episode of TV Channeling, the best podcast in the universe. I said it. Debate uh, with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go this time. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, all, for being here. We have a special special treat for you we're doing another episode like we did last time aren't we kevin yeah not only are we going to give you a review of a new show we're also going to give you a top five list two of two for the price of one which is free i guess so (laughs) i I like how you're trying to zhuzh it up and there's like no cost i I mean (laughs) but that's the wonderful thing about this you get all of our wonderfulness for free guys for free i mean this you can't beat you can't beat this deal this much snark for zero down that's pretty great all right so (laughs) we're gonna be reviewing jordan peele's twilight zone reboot slash reimagining that airs on cbs all access and inspired by uh twilight the new twilight zone we're gonna actually list our top five favorite classic twilight zone episodes All right, so uh, the episode we actually reviewed is uh, called The Comedian. Uh, And let me tell you a little bit about it before we talk about it. So, taking advice from a famous comedian, a stand-up comic makes makes fun of his own life with unexpected results. So, Tachi, what did you think of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone I think it is really difficult and it is a tall order to fill the shoes of a show like Twilight Zone that had such an a societal impact in terms of the it, it's basically like they're like kind of morality plays and uh, lessons on life the things that happen while still being in this cool uh twilight zone-ish world it's a tall order to fulfill all of that but I think that Jordan Peele does it brilliantly i this is this is my my criticism with with the open it feels like now original twilight zone episodes were only half an hour long with the exception of they did have some hour long back in the day so the original episodes were half an hour with the exception of a few this wasn't a one hour uh, episode so to me because i and i watched the twilight zone the classic twilight zones every night Every night I watch them. So I was, I'm so used to the formula of half hour. And because we only have half an hour with commercials, we have to get to the point. And so to me, it took some time for them to develop before they had Twilight Zone and you knew that this was the Twilight Zone. And before Jordan Peele actually did the Rod Serling-ish explanation of what this story was about. It seems like it took them a while to get to that. But that said, I did enjoy the homage to the original Twilight Zone. They kept the music. They kept the lettering and and the font of the way it was done. They didn't try to get uh, newfangled. Even the beginning opening montage and sequence, still, they had the door, though it was a more modern door. They had the eye, though it was a more modern eye, because that eye in the original was a cheesy puppet eye. So uh, I do like that they kept the spirit of Rod Serling in the original Twilight Zone in the way they did it, not only in the in the uh, flow of the story, but also in the opening montage. And uh, I, I read that Jordan Peele was reluctant at first 
to go ahead and do the narration the way Rod Serling did, but I think that it really added to it. Well, one of the things that um, uh, that that's interesting about Jordan Peele doing this is the fact that he, I don't remember Rod Serling um, always being in the action when he would actually do the narration, and so Jordan Peele just appears uh, out of nowhere in different parts of the set. So I don't know if he's going to do this in every episode, because we just watched, the only episode we saw was The Comedian, Right. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing, but I do like the vibe of him just kind of mysteriously appearing and then just appearing other places. I like that vibe. So speaking of um, him doing his best Rod Sterling, let me share what he actually says, uh, the beginning narration in this episode. Um, let's see. Uh, Samir uh, Wasan is an artist of great principle, a man who refuses to compromise his beliefs for a cheap joke. But tonight, he felt the rush of the sp- of the limelight for the first time. Now he'll have to decide what really matters to him when the laughter stops, and how much he's willing to give to the Twilight Zone. Oh, I know you said it. And I got goosebumps when he did it. I'm like that. that it, it, I was in it uh, the moment that happened. And so basically the story of the comedian I'll give a little bit of background I'm not sure how much we should give away about the story because I have an issue with the ending but um, the uh, we have a comedian who's not doing well in his career he he doesn't manage to get audiences to laugh he wants to do political humor he wants his humor to like change people's lives and it's not happening for him and all of a sudden he uh, meets Tracy Morgan playing a comedian much like Tracy Morgan, <laughs> SNL alum Tracy Morgan. And so um, he basically uh, uh, asked him for some notes or some tips. And so uh, he says, uh, the audience doesn't care. Uh, this is what Tracy Morgan says. The audience doesn't care about what you think. They care about you. Uh, what do you want? Uh, uh, are you happy with your life, your career? Uh, don't you want it all? And then Samir answers, yes, more than anything. Tracy Morgan says back, uh, uh, I'll tell you a secret. Uh, put yourself out there and you'll get laughs and you will be successful. But are you sure that's what you want? You have to be sure because once you put it out there, the audience will take it in. They'll, uh, they'll connect with, uh, they'll connect with it. And once they connect with it, it's theirs. And once it's theirs, it's gone forever. That's yes. It, and you know what? You don't get the full meaning of that until the series of events starts to happen. So you don't get that full. You you hear it and it's like, okay, okay, it's where. And that's probably what he was saying, Samir, right? Yes. So this is probably what Samir was saying. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I want in. I'm 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 in fully. Okay, they take it into theirs, and he was probably taking it figuratively. Whereas Tracy Morgan meant no witch. It is theirs. It is theirs, meaning that, um, well, I will say this. So what ends up happening is that once he tells this joke or includes a certain entities within his joke telling, it they disappear. They cease to exist. So you don't realize that that is what is going to happen initially. 
Yeah, so the first time he, he goes on stage after getting the advice from Tracy Morgan, he mentions his dog, and he named his dog Cat. And so he talks about uh, the dog and some of the things, the, 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 the uh, quirks about his dog. And when he gets home from uh, that show, he his wife is asleep, and he's asking her, like, well, where's where's Cat? And she's like, we don't have a cat. And he's like, no, our dog, where is our dog? We don't have a dog or a cat. Let me go back to sleep. You're bugging me. And and he's like, what the hell's going on? And so he slowly starts to realize that when he mentioned something in his act, his material, the, the making his life fodder, his material, that is uh, what it takes to make people laugh. And once he's done it once, once he mentions the dog, he can't, if he mentions the dog again, it doesn't get any laughs. It needs to each be, it needs to be fresh material or later, as he says, you need fresh blood. It, it has to be something new in his life that he mentions. And then um, he gets laughter, but it takes, the universe takes whatever the audience laughs at. Yeah, it's almost it's a classic selling your soul to the devil type story where it's like you're gathering souls <laughs> to give. And so obviously, once you've given a soul, you, you can't use it anymore. So it's that same type of, of, of chilling thing. And by the way, just letting you know, Kevin, that you we're on the clock. So just. Oh, you know. damn it. <laughs> I slid that in there really slickly. So, you know, it, it was it was a surprise to see Tracy Morgan. And in fact, Jordan Peele has a lineup of fantastic, well-known people in, in for this Twilight Zone, which is what Rod Serling did. As I watch the initial the, the initial episodes of the Twilight Zone, meaning the classic twi- Twilight Zone, I see a lot of the same faces, right? And I see these faces that have you ever seen the um, the film, the original film, Twelve Angry Men, the black yes. and white? Okay. All of 12 Angry Men, all every one of those jurors just about have been on an episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. It definitely turned into like a company. I believe they filmed them uh, in on the East Coast. Uh, did they film Twilight Zone on the East Coast? I think they did. And so they had like a, a lot of stage actors. Yeah. Would, yeah they fil- uh, I, I want to say they filmed them in New York, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, th- I thought. Did I say the East Coast? I thought I said the East Coast. Wait, well, anyway, I meant the East Coast. If I didn't say the East Coast, you anyway, did say yeah. East Coast. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So a lot of the uh, the actors were like stage actors, and a lot of the people that they weren't stars when they were on there, but they became big stars, right? Uh, after being on the Twilight Zone. So this is the they're flipping the script this time. A lot of these people, these people are named people. Tracy Morgan's a name, and so is uh uh. Camille Nanjani, he's famous. Um, so it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. What I love about uh, the show, as far as the look of it, one of the kind of the things the about the original Twilight Zone was the fact that it was in black and white, and part of the black and whiteness of it, I think, that it gave it so much atmosphere. And I was wondering if they'd be able to have a moody kind of mysterious atmosphere with it being in color and in high definition and jordan peele did it it was the the lighting in their apartment especially it was very moody the club felt like a real club uh the kind of lighting in the atmosphere and so uh i i really felt like this episode really did give you that twilight zone kind of hairs in the back of your neck standing up kind of spookiness as the story unfolds and he starts to realize that uh, that life is like a like a like a the universe is kind of like a jenga you know that tower game where you think you can just take out a little piece of it and it's not going to really affect anything but you don't know when you're pulling out a brick what that brick is holding up 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's like that string in the sweater. You think it's not a big deal, but you pull it and the whole damn thing unravels? That's yeah, exactly. And, and that starts happening to him when he he keeps needing more uh, you know, grist for the mill. He keeps needing to to take more parts of his life uh and put them on stage to get laughs and he gets addicted to it but again each time you mention someone or something it ceases to exist and um after a while you you've used up all of your life you've given all that you have to give <laughs> you just sound so forlorn you've given all <laughs> well, well I, I'm not sure what, how much to share about it because I, uh, people might want to actually check this episode out. But I have real issues with the ending, so I want you to do a spoiler alert and then tell people like, just to skip over the next five minutes and we can discuss the ending because I have thoughts. <laughs> I definitely do, but I, I'll try to be strong and not say anything. Okay, okay, just, 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 yeah, just hang tight. We're, we're gonna give you, we're gonna give you the chance to, to gripe or to share, to share your thoughts. I 100% agree. The cinematography here is beautiful, but again, we're talking about modern day 2019 television. There's no reason with all the tools out there that it should not be beautiful, but it, it's just beautifully shot. The lighting is bar none. Lighting design, excellent as you said it gives that moodiness and it will be interesting to see in subsequent episodes of the twilight zone how they handle lighting what they do it's you know when you look at the original twilight zone even though it's in black and white not everything is dark there are some very bright scenes where they're outside and that type of thing so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that but the darkness and the moodiness of the lighting worked perfectly for this story because yeah it's a club and then they're in their house and you know the interesting thing is how inadvertently there's a, there's always a lesson with the twilight zone right they're, they're always trying to impart some knowledge as well so the interesting thing is that like you said the one thing that you move could change everything just like jenga you move one thing and everything unravels or it's, it's changed and one thing without giving it away that he inadvertently not inadvertently but purposely because of jealousy gets rid of someone that changes the entire course of what he knows and he didn't realize it because he was so busy in his in in himself and not thinking about well how loops will affect and that's what we do sometimes we make stupid decisions not looking at how is this going to affect the other person or how is this going to affect the situation and then you do it and you're like well damn i didn't realize that if i uh, you know, take this out, then this is left. It's like making soup. If you are trying to be cheap and you leave out the salt, you're going to end up with water and chicken. So <laughs> <laughs> that went to an interesting place. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. He he doesn't realize it, and so I love that kind of idea that you can be short-sighted in your own greed or what what's going to make you happy, not looking at the bigger picture. But uh, what I do like about the initial thing is he initially he's a justice warrior with this newfound power where he can mention bad people yes. and make them go away. But after a while, you've mentioned all the asses and bad people that you've known or ever encountered in your life. And then you're left with just the people that you care about. And are you going to sacrifice them to get more laughs? Exactly. And you know what? It's, it's like, it's not, a, look, when you're looking at him, he's conflicted. It's not like he's doing it um, just, oh, well, let me just take this person. And what there's something that had been done to him or a way that he had been treated by them or something he didn't like about them that was the antecedent to him saying, 
Bill Bill Wilson or whatever the case would be, you know, because he actually had to say their names and mention them for them to be erased. So there was something that would always happen beforehand when he ran out of people that because he it looked like he went through yearbooks. He had a list of high school, college and went through all the names of people that were, you know, just generally not nice, had done something to him or whatever. So then you run out of those people, like you said, and then it comes to, OK, Randos on the bus. OK, that doesn't work. Then it comes to. All right. Well, this person, I'm not feeling too tight. I could get rid of them. So but there was something that was done or a way he felt about them that caused that oh yeah and the the initially the provocation is has to be bigger and then it just gets keeps getting smaller and smaller the provocation to be erased right and uh, he justifies that provocation right so yeah. at, at first it's big but then he starts to justify well i'm right in doing this because and he doesn't necessarily say that to us but we can see that process of him as an actor justifying that this is okay because he has that little, you know, that smile of satisfaction afterwards. Like, yeah, I did a good thing. Yeah, he thinks he, like, you know, the, the, the ironic part of it is at the beginning of it, he's telling like political humor. And because he wants to make a difference in the world. And then the in, end, he is making a difference in the world because he's taking out people that he's that he's thinking are bad people, people who got away with crimes. He's he's mentioning them and they disappear. But again, there's only so many. You only know so many uh, coaches from your high school that turn out to have been pedophiles. And once you've yes. named all those kinds of people in your life, then you're left with the people that you love, your friends and uh, your spouses and stuff like that. And um, how much are you willing to sacrifice? Like like he's like Jordan Peele says at the very beginning of the episode, how much is he willing to give to the Twilight Zone? And apparently the answer is a lot. Clearly. Did you catch the little sly political mark he made about the people currently in charge yes, of the administration? No, it, it was it felt very timely. It it did feel very timely, but it was like um he you know, he has he says things to try and get, you know, to gauge where that laughter will come from. And you know, it's like these gales of laugh, ridiculous laughter. But he says things to do that and you know nobody laughed obviously during that but then i thought about it, i'm like well he would have actually had to say his name for him to disappear so but that also, I think he, but i think he would have to he has to it has to be part of your life so i think that that, right. that he didn't know him if he knew who the if he had interacted with the president or something like that actually had interaction like the, 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 similar to the thing on the bus where he interacted with somebody on the bus that was like a skinhead white supremacist but he didn't really know him so i guess that's why when he mentioned him he didn't get any laughs and so the, you have to get the, 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 you get the laughter, but the cost is that person is uh, disappeared or uh, non-existent, non-existent, um, or ever existed. And so, he, so he tries it. He keeps, he's trying to get, get his bearings on what the power is and what it takes to make it happen. And um, it needs to be some kind of personal connection. Now, this is the interesting thing with the skinhead. It, I was like, this could go a number of ways. That he could actually make this person disappear and it turns out that maybe he's a reformed person or doing something really good or maybe was like a client of the um, his girlfriend. So I thought maybe that was how they were going to go with that. So I didn't realize it just wasn't going to pan out at all. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. 
Yeah, no, it it took some interesting turns, and where it ended, ugh, I just, I'm still... Okay, go ahead and talk about it, because... All right, spoiler alert. Okay, so, the, in the end, um, he's, he's, he's affected the life of his girlfriend badly, because he was jealous of her mentor, so he makes, he mentions the mentor to make him go away, and then the mentor going away changes his girlfriend's life. She was an attorney, and a a successful one, but because she did never have that mentor, she's a waitress supporting her uh her uh her boyfriend's uh comedy habit uh supporting them both and so uh their relationship ends up ends up coming to an end because of this decision of him making that change in her life and uh and so in the end when she comes into one of his shows and confronts him and says like you know you i found this book of yours you have like a list of people that names i don't even recognize these names even like her nephew is gone all these people that he's mentioned and she goes well why not go ahead and mention me all the people in your life are nothing but basically fodder for your act and so he's standing there and there's a question like will he mention her uh and he ends up mentioning himself and then he ceases to exist so that's the end but that wasn't what you need what he should have done what he should have done oh, do tell us uh, he should have mentioned Kevin. tracy morgan because this all started with tracy morgan so if tracy morgan never existed his nephew's back all the people that he disappeared, his his relationship, her being his her his wife being a, his girlfriend being a lawyer, everything would have gone back, reverted back to normal because he would have never met Tracy Morgan if he never existed. So that's how you do it. You don't destroy yourself because your <laughs> nephew is still gone, your adorable nephew is gone. All the good things you people get destroyed. Just reverse it back by mentioning Tracy Morgan, who we see in the end is going to do this to other people. Well, that's the that's the point. That's the point. It won't work. It would not have worked story wise if they did that. But number two, I think the point is also taking personal responsibility for what you do that is wrong. So I think that's where he mentioned. That's why he mentioned himself. Yeah, it would have been easy to say uh, Tracy Morgan. We don't. I don't even remember the character's name, but tra- the character that Tracy Morgan played. It would have been Tracy easy to Morgan. Say- <laughs> he played been- Tracy Morgan. Did, no, he he had a name. No, he had a name, but but my point is the character he played was mysteriously similar, similar to, to, to Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Morgan. Okay, so. okay, yeah. So the Tracy Morgan like character they could have they, could've, they could've, actually could have called the character Morgan Tracy. Okay, <laughs> so we'll call him that. So Morgan Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been easy to say Morgan Tracy and have him disappear forever. But I think that he was so conflicted at that point that he had affected the lives of so many other people that he just felt felt really guilty. And as penance for that, he made himself disappear. I think he yeah, was taking you know what? personal but, responsibility. But I don't know. I'm sorry, Tachi. This reminds me of there's a movie that still bugs me to this day. There was a movie called Sphere that uh okay queen latifi was queen latifa was in it as well as um uh what's her name from uh basic instinct uh glenn close no, no not glenn close um, what is her name uh uh casino whatever her name is um <laughs> whatever her name was so the point is it's some kind of science fi thing when they re- start realizing that so the, the they're doing some kind of deep sea um investigation or something like that and they discover that the things that they're saying actually come to fruition and so at one point they actually say something and it ends up killing queen latifah someone unbeknownst to them they're saying things and it makes something happens that kills queen latifah as, as well as other people the other scientists that are uh, in this undersea lab and once they figure out what it is they use that power to save the the three people the lone the three people that are surviving at the end but it's just like wait a minute if you can make w- what you say come into fruition it's like okay we never 
went on this uh, sea voyage and then Queen Latifah is fine. But they saved themselves and Queen Latifah is still dead at the end of the movie. It's like, well, that's stupid. Just go back and rewind it to the beginning of it and everybody's fine. Well. So so, so Camille sacrificing himself doesn't bring back his adorable nephew or, or, the, or, or the dog named Cat. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. They brought the nephew back. Oh. Oh, I think you know what? You're right. You're right. I think you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Damn it. Of course, that damn. Ugh. Anyway, fine. <laughs> All right. We can't discuss anymore because the clock went off. So, Tachi, <laughs> sorry for the spoilers, but it just bugged me. He's okay. not sorry for the spoilers, but go ahead. Okay. So, Tachi, <laughs> what did you think uh, when it comes to uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone reboot? Are you going to keep watching or are you going to change the channel? So, my initial thought is absolutely I want to keep watching, but it's on a network I don't have, therefore I can't. So it's <laughs> it's not that I don't want to keep watching. I absolutely do. I I'm interested to see because all the episodes of the Twilight Zone are self-contained. It's not serialized. Each one is um self-contained. I would I'm interested in all the rest of the stories, but alas, I may not be able to get to see them, but I uh, I will keep watching if I can see them. Okay. And when it comes to you, dear Kevin, Mr. CBS All Access, will you continue to watch or will you change the channel? Well, until CBS gives me all access, I'm going to have to say I'm going to stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, it, it, I agree with you. It's self-contained. I enjoyed it very much. I love The Twilight Zone. And I love, I'd love to see more of what Jordan Peele is doing with it, uh, because they show a, a montage of clips from future episodes, and it looks really interesting. Yes, so, I saw that. Um, I definitely would check it out if I had CBS All Access, but right now there's not enough for me to have CBS All Access as a permanent kind of thing I would have. Nope. I will eventually, once Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is completed, because they, they see, that's another thing, they do not, uh, CBS All Access does not present their shows like Netflix, where the whole season is out on, on, on a particular day. They release one episode a week. I believe the Twilight Zone, uh, each episode is released, drops on Thursday. And so, once the whole season is complete, Season 1 of Twilight Zone is out there, and Season 2 of uh, Star Trek Discovery then I will have CBS All Access for a glorious month where I will binge them both happily and then I'll drop it like a hot rock okay well thank you for that Kevin (laughs) Uh, alright so it's time for our second half of our show where we go over our top 5 classic episodes of TV channeling so Tachi what is your number 5 favorite episode of Twilight Zone Okay, my number five is The Masks. That's episode 145. And it uh, originally aired March 20th, 1964. So in this episode, it's it's set in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. I believe it's New Orleans. They do Mardi Gras too in like uh, Mississippi and some other places. But I believe the big one is New Orleans. So there's a dying man who makes his relatives wear these masks, these grotesque masks that reflect their true personality and so what happens is they're all like, you know, terrible relatives just waiting for him to uh, to die, <laughs> basically. And what ends up happening at the end is like, as the um, hours keep going by, they want to take off the mask because they're unbearable. And finally, at the end, he says, without your masks, 
you are caricatures to his like family members and then he dies so they're all like happy and rejoicing and marty growing up and because now they have newly found wealth but what happens is when they take off their masks they discover that their faces have now conformed to the hideous features of the masks and so yeah you're rich but you look like a monster well, see, they can have enough money now to go get some plastic surgery, get their faces back. <laughs> That's true. So it That's all worked true. out. It was a happy ending after. It all. was a happy ending. Well, this is, the, this is the, the final thing is um, one of the relatives said, this must be death. No horror, no fear, nothing but peace. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So that is my number five. And what about you, Kevin? What is your number five favorite twilight zone episode okay first of all that's that you're right that's a great pick that's a very spooky episode all mm-hmm. right so um my number five pick is uh called two t-w-o and um it was from season three episode one and uh it begins in a post-apocalyptic world and what's really interesting is the when uh rod sterling's introduction it says it it, it could be he goes it's 50 you know it's like 100 years from now or was it 300 years ago? Uh, and so there's been some kind of a, a, a like World War Three kind of happening. And we happen upon two soldiers of, from two different factions. One's a woman and one's a man. They don't speak the same language. And the man is basically done. Like there's no one else left. He hasn't seen a person apparently in months or something, a, lot, a living person. And when he sees this uh, woman on the other side, he basically says like, you know, there's no more government. There's no more people. There's no reason for us to fight. I'm done fighting. And he puts down his gun. And, but she's still, she's not over it yet. And she tries to kill him, but he gets away and says, like, he's done. And he's going to go off and just be by himself. He's not going to, he's done with this endless battle that's destroyed almost all of humanity. And, uh, it's basically about, uh, trying to figure out when it's time, when the, you know, humanity is, uh, has almost completely destroyed itself. With the two remaining people, can they put down these uh, these guns, these grudges, these otherization of each other, uh, kind of thing, and move on? And uh, the two, it's only, it's almost very, it's very little dialogue. It's it's closest thing to a silent film uh, episode of The Twilight Zone, and it stars a very young Charles Bronson and an even younger Elizabeth Montgomery. before she has magical powers but she (laughs) is incredible in this it is a star turn you could see how how she turned into what she ended up becoming a a huge star but she was so good in this and uh you know is there hope for humanity and that's the question of this episode and it i saw it as a child and and it touched me and it stuck with me and um it's, it's it's I watch I rewatched it when we we're coming compiling these this list and oh. it is just as moving seeing it as, as an adult as seeing it as a child and it feels very timely now. Mm, that's so again, a really good one. Yeah, it's called Two T W O. So check okay. it out. It's available I- on YouTube. <laughs> All right, Tasha. Yeah. So what is your number four pick? My number four pick is an episode uh, called Queen of the Nile. That was episode 143. And it is actually, there's a journalist that becomes romantically involved with a an old movie star. But this movie star is actually centuries old. And how does she keep her youth? 
she basically feeds off of these journalists and people that uh, come in. So it starts uh, starts around um, a Chicago journalist, Jordan um, Herrick, who visits an actress. Her name is Pamela Morris, who's uh, supposed to be 38 and known for her beauty and vitality. And he's going to interview. But he notices that there's a painting in her house that's dated 1940, but she still looks just as young as she did in the painting. And so he questions her about this and she says that the painter drew her when she was a child with a projection of what she would look like as an adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as she's leaving, as Jordan is leaving, he encounters this old woman who Pamela introduced as her mother and that's actually Pamela's daughter. So this tells you how old this woman actually is for, um, for that woman to be her daughter. So apparently um, she went, uh, she has a scarab beetle or whatever that kind of sucks the life out of these people that she lures into the trap. And that's how she maintains her youth. So that's kind of like her fountain of youth. So that's my number four. Wow. I have never seen that episode. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is you find these gems. And remember, like I told you, I watch it every night. So this is one of the episodes that had come on uh, probably a few, few months ago. And I'm like, oh, I really like this episode. So. We well, gotta give gotta give a shout out to Me TV. I think that's isn't that where you're watching it. Oh yeah, that's all Me TV, all Me TV. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So my number four uh, pick is Eye of the Beholder. Eye of the Beholder. Okay, do tell us. It's episode six from season two. And it begins with a woman who's had plastic surgery. And we see her eyes and and, um, uh, we see these doctors that have masks on and they're working on her. And everybody's really concerned about, like, has this surgery been successful? And um, if it isn't successful, what it means for this woman? Because apparently they've repeatedly tried to fix this woman's face unsuccessfully. And this is the last, this is her last chance. And so when they finally cut the bandages off and we see this incredibly beautiful young woman, uh, and then we see her look in the mirror and she like freaks out, throws the mirror down and starts screaming. And, um, and we're like, why is she so upset? And it turns out that, uh, we see the doctors take their mask off and they have these like hideous, like pig faces that are very disturbing and messed me up as a child <laughs> like for a long time. No, you don't like pig but, faces. But the, but the, but the, the, so basically this incredibly gorgeous girl is a hideous freak in a world of everybody that has like a pig face. They think that she's disgusting looking. And so not only um, was this her last chance, but it means that she's going to be banished. She can't even be a part of society because she's so disturbing looking to them. And so uh, she's going to go to a colony of people that could not be saved. And so this super hot dude comes to uh, as an ambassador for the where the hideous people live to tell her you know that it's you know i know it's upsetting and she's trying she's almost getting sick looking at him <laughs> and he's telling her but like you know you'll fought for the first time you'll be in a world where people accept you for who you are and not because of how you look we won't we won't judge you for being as ugly as you are we will judge you for who you are as a person and it's an incredible liberating feeling or whatever and so it ends with her moving uh going going to this uh uh kind of island where they where they put the cast off ugly people which of course are all amazingly hot 
<laughs> of so, course, of course. So, um, it's a really interesting lesson. Uh, the idea of how we look at beauty, and uh, yeah, if if everybody's ugly, then the the beautiful person is the ugly person. That's true. Eye of the beholder, and uh, that was actually my number two. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> With all the damn episodes, of course, we were going to gravitate towards um, at least one of the same one. Oh, no. Well, yeah, we, we might have another some more crossover. So what is your number? Three? <laughs> what, not, what is it? Number two now? <laughs> no. Well, my number three, that because that was uh, uh, I called it ugly doll. But yeah, I have the <laughs> I mean, uh, I have the beholder is uh, was uh, ugly face was my number two. So my number three is actually living doll. Do you remember that episode? I do remember that episode. And, and is it on your list, too? No, it isn't. OK, well, here we go. So. So for those of you that don't remember this episode, it was about a doll called Talkie Tina. And apparently it's a doll that does everything. And it's supposed to be a life. It didn't look lifelike. It looked like a doll. But it was like, you know how dolls can be kind of creepy sometimes? Yes. Well, they weren't until they started to put these personas on them on shows like The Twilight Zone and these clowns and stuff. (laughs) So it's supposed to be lifelike. um, And it's, you know, a plastic doll. And... Eric Streeter is the person, is the dad in the situation, or the stepdad, and she's the most unwelcome addition to the household. But without her, he'd never enter the Twilight Zone. That's <laughs> that's the thing. So um, Annabelle buys her daughter this doll, Talkie Tina. Um, uh, her daughter is Christy, and she says, my name is Talkie Tina and I love you very much so that she could be comforted because uh, Annabelle recently remarried this man, Eric Streeter, and he's infertile. He can't have kids. He's frustrated by his inability to have his own children with Annabelle. So mostly he directs his hostility to Christy or toward Christy. And Annabelle tries to persuade him that if he gives himself the chance, he'll be able to love Christy. So when Eric winds up the doll, it repeats the usual phrase, but because of the way Eric treats the little girl, it uh, substitutes some antagonisms like, I don't like you. Like, my name is Talkie Tina, and I don't like you, uh, for I love you. So at first, Eric is blaming the doll's manufacturer. However, the doll later begins engaging him in more elaborate conversations. So he comes to the conclusion that Annabelle is playing a trick to get back at him for how he treats Christy. So he puts the dust things like puts the doll in the trash can, but then gets a phone call from the doll and the doll's uh, voice threatens the game. My name is Talkie Tina and I'm going to kill you. So this is how it gets like darker and darker and darker. So he checks the trash can and it's empty. He confronts Annabelle, but uh, you know, she pleads innocence. So then he runs upstairs to find the doll in bed with Christy and um, he takes the doll away. So he's, you know, basically they think he's going crazy, but the doll really is tormenting him. So finally, what ends, what ends up happening is um, he hears uh, muffled noises. He tells Annabelle to stay in bed. He goes to investigate and Christy is in bed, the little girl, but the doll is gone. So he goes down the stairs (laughs) But he then trips over Tina, who's lying there purposely, of course. So, and she ends with, my name is Talkie Tina, and you'd better be nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's my number three. The uh, talking. Yeah, doesn't, to doesn't the, she, she says that, she says that to the mother, doesn't she? Um, the yeah, end. yeah, yeah. To Annabelle. Yeah, because he's mm-hmm. dead. She's she's killed uh, the the stepfather. Yeah, he dies after. Yeah, I'm sorry. So he dies uh, from falling down the stairs, which they always seem to do. And um, when Annabelle picks up the doll, she says, my name is Talkie Tina and you'd better be nice to me. And Annabelle ends up um, dropping so, the doll. Yeah. So she realizes that he wasn't going. That he was telling the truth. Exactly. Yeah, so was, that's particularly you take that doll episode. back to the store. <laughs> oh, she'll come back. She'll find her way home. They'll, they move. <laughs> move <laughs> to another state. Oh, my God. So that's my number three. What is your number three, Kevin? Okay, my number three is the monsters are uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. Hmm. Um, it's a uh, season one, episode twenty-two. Have you seen this particular episode? Um, no, I don't think I have. Start describing it, and maybe I have. Okay, so basically, what ends up happening is there is a mysterious blackout. On this uh, in this neighborhood, this uh, uh, idyllic looking suburban neighborhood, and uh, there was some kind of like something that somebody saw in the sky in the distance. And what ends up happening is there gets paranoia starts to set in as the blackout continues, and they can't get radio reception anymore and they find out that a town over also has is having a blackout and then mysteriously like one house on the whole block uh and for miles has lights where no one else has electricity why and neighbors are all questioning well why do they have electricity what's going on with what's going on with jeff and someone's saying like you know what <laughs> something's really mysterious about jeff because sometimes he'll stare up into the night sky almost as if he's looking at home Maybe he's from outer space. What's up with him? And so uh, all of a sudden, just uh, uh, the people start turning on each other because then all of a sudden, somebody else's lawnmower starts up out of nowhere. Wait, and maybe it isn't Jeff. Maybe it's, you know, uh, maybe it's James. What sums up with him? What's going on with him? And all of a sudden, just like full scale riots break out because just weird things start happening and people all start turning on each other. And then the camera slowly pans up to the sky and you see like this spaceship and these like two kind of aliens going, like, see how easy it is to make them destroy each other. All we had to do was turn lights off and on. <laughs> wow! Wow! And, and then we and then we let them do the rest, and it just and and we just and they're looking down at as uh, humanity destroys itself with paranoia, and we turn on each other. See, the, the lesson there is it doesn't take much. It, it, it all I could think about when I I rewatched that episode too for uh this particular show, and all I could think is like, damn it, Vladimir Putin saw this episode, and he's all like, oh, it won't take much to make America destroy itself. Mm. So very mm. spooky and timely. You may not be far. You know, there's so much that's timely about the Twilight Zone. That it means we haven't grown much. <laughs> well, humanity, there's just, there, there's just some basic things about how we're made up that just seem to, we just seem to screw ourselves over, over and over again. Yes, we do. All right. So what is your number two pick, Tachi? My number two pick is Eye of the Beholder. So... Okay, well, what is your number? I guess what's your number one pick? Oh, my number one pick. This is this is one of my favorite because the life lessons there are just so much. It's called the obsolete man, 
And I don't know if you remember it, but it's I have a, never seen that. I mean, it's not coming. The name isn't ringing a bell. Okay, maybe when I describe it. So it's episode number sixty-five. It aired on June second, nineteen sixty-one. So this is uh, what it's about. So here's the opening narration. I must read. You walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future, not a future that will be, but that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and more sophisticated approaches to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the superstates that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. This is Mr. Romney Wordsworth in his last 48 hours on Earth. He is a citizen of from the state, but will soon have to be eliminated because he's built out of flesh and because he has a mind. Mr. Rodney Wordsworth, who will draw his last breaths in the Twilight Zone. So, that's basically what it's about. He's being put, Romney Wordsworth is a librarian. Um, it's a future totalitarian state, and he's being put on trial for being obsolete because of his profess, uh, profession as a librarian. So being obsolete or your professing your occupation of one that is obsolete in this world is punishable by death, according to the state. And it's called the state. So they've eliminated books. He believes in God, but also uh a proof of obsolescence as the state claims to have proven God does not exist. So this is this whole dystopian thing going on, which is really interesting. So after the, you know, that trial, the chancellor finds Wordsworth guilty and then sentences him to death, but he allows him to choose the method of his execution. So he requests Wordsworth does, that he be granted a personal assassin who will be the only one that knows the method of his death and that his execution be televised nationwide throughout the state. So the um, televised uh, executions are common there, but the the secretive method is highly unorthodox, but the chancellor says, okay. So they install a television camera to broadcast the hour to its nation. So the librarian reveals that the method of execution he chooses is a bomb and it's set to go off in the room at midnight. So the chancellor says, okay. Um, but then Wordsworth further explains that the door is locked and that the chancellor is going to die with him. So there's this whole exchange, and then the um, the chancellor they door they lock the door, and then it, the uh, the chancellor is going to die with him. He points out that all these events are being broadcast, and the state would risk losing its status in the eyes of the people by rescuing the chancellor. So then um, he reads from the Bible at that <laughs> during this whole thing, expressing his trust in God. And so moments before the bomb, the chancellor breaks out and begs to be let go in the name of God. So Wordsworth agrees to do so, but then, and so Wordsworth uh, lets him out, the bomb explodes, Wordsworth gets killed, but because of the Chancellor's cowardly display, the Chancellor is um, declared obsolete and then has to stand trial and be executed. Wow. Yeah, it's a powerful episode. Oh my God. No, nobody does dystopian like the Twilight Zone. Oh my gosh. They invented dystopia. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I have to. I even even hearing the whole plot, I still want to see that episode. That sounds so good. Yeah, no, you should definitely watch it. It is my all time favorite number one. So since um you have not given number two, you have to give your number two and your number one, your second choice and then your first choice. I should okay, say. my number two pick is number twelve. Looks just like me. I'm sorry. No, number twelve looks just like you. Number twelve looks oh. just like you. Have you are you familiar with that episode? I am familiar with that episode. Oh my god, that episode haunted me as a child and as a teen. I just love this episode so much. So, uh, in a future society, everyone must undergo an operation at the age of nineteen to become beautiful and conform to society. One young woman, uh, 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 uh desperately wants to hold on to her own identity. And so her friends have had this procedure. Her mother has this procedure and everybody is smoking hot. The doctors at the hospital, the orderly, but, but there's only so many models. So there's like, you know, there's only like, I think like 20 different versions of people, you know, appropriate looking people that are smoking hot that you can choose from. The catalog is not huge of hotness. So, um, so she's at the right age, but she doesn't want to do it. And she's trying to tell that her, it turns, her father committed suicide because he lost something. Not only do you become, uh, physically different but it changes who you are inside as far as and it, it's almost like you get lobotomized or something and she, and there's this powerful speech where she talks about the idea of how can anything how can there be anything beautiful in the world if there's nothing ugly and you know and she was saying how like you know i, I she goes i'm okay with being ugly which she really isn't ugly but she's not like she's not like a, a bikini model like all the other people but uh, but she, but she's like she's okay with who she is she likes who she is as a person She's okay with being different. And it's a really interesting message for kids, especially now with social media. The idea of uh, when you're a kid, uh, you want to, you don't want to stand out. You want to blend in. You want to be like everybody else. Everybody's wearing this. I want to wear what everybody else is wearing. I want to look like everybody else look, looks. I want to wear this, have the same haircut. Everybody else has that kind of thing. I want to dress like everybody's, everybody else. So she was comfortable with the fact that she was an outcast and she wanted, like, she was like, please just let me, I'll go off to the woods, be, be by myself. So you guys don't have to look at me. Well, please let me be my, let me be me. But the, uh, uh, she tries to escape the hospital and she ends up being captured and the the ending breaks my heart every time i see it uh we see her being like dragged into the operating room and she's screaming and they drag her in there and then later uh, her friend and her smoking hot mom uh are waiting and all of a sudden she comes out of the operating room and she's wearing the same kind of like unitard kind of like uh this like you know uh base up uh, like kind of like a superhero kind of like uh basically like a swimsuit and she's all like and she sees her friend she's like you know like christy i'm just like you and she looks she looks exactly like her friend and she's just as lobotomized and it's like oh my god let's go pick out outfits christy and that's <laughs> the end of that that incredibly sensitive smart girl is gone and she's just like i'm just like you i remember that i remember that wow it's a lesson in conformity Exactly, and it's so haunting, and and to see her plead and beg to be different, and to be allowed to be who she is, and that's the crime that she wants to be, uh, herself, and and uh, the society just will not allow that. Uh, the Twilight Zone is actually, you know, such a smart series. It just, 
And it points to the fact that we never learn because these are the same things that we talk about over and that's over. That's what I'm saying. That's why over. these, all these things, all these things. Episode you just mentioned, the state, everything feels so timely. Yes. Um, as you watch these things that were done in the '60s, it's um, it's amazing how timely they are. Now, before I mention my number one pick, I got to mention an honorable mention because I was sure you were going to name this one, so that's why I thought I didn't have to name it because I'm like Tashi will name this one, so that gives me another option. I can pick something else. <laughs> but how to serve man we can't talk about great twilight zone episodes without mentioning that episode are you familiar with that episode okay start describing it and i can how to serve man is basically what happens is uh all of a sudden uh, like aliens come from another planet but these are nice aliens and they're uh and they're and they're giving us all kinds of great technology and they're helping us they've ended disease and stuff and they're offering free trips to their home planet which is even more spectacular and if you go there you'll like live forever and it's going to be super great and so people are lining up to go uh to, to visit this planet and they have a book that that's of uh, that all the aliens have on their ships called how to serve man and so um this one woman is suspicious and everybody else is not like oh what's wrong with you christy something's wrong with you you know you're so suspicious of everything you're crazy bitch and so <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to neptune we're gonna live it up and so so so, so she's so she she gets one of the books she steals them and she's trying to figure out what like the language and then as she she finally figures out what the language is as her loved ones are getting on uh, on this conveyor about to go go into these giant ships with like literally thousands of people are getting on them and she's like wait wait how to serve man it's a cookbook oh damn no i don't remember that one Oh my God! The reason why I didn't want to mention it only also is because of the fact that it's been it's been parodied so much that they the power of it has been taken away from it. Like the Simpsons have made fun of it and stuff like that. So, but I okay, think it was, I've seen the parody of it. I didn't realize it was a parody from, from the Twilight no, that's Zone. What that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it's so, so funny that some things got, they've been parodied so many times. People don't even know what it's the parody of that what the what the original thing was people are making fun of and so that was the idea it's a cookbook so the idea was they were taking that they're actually t- farming us and wow. curing us of disease and like that and they're taking us to their planet to to, to feast on us wow because who so, wants who wants a uh measles ridden uh <laughs> exactly and, and, but but also the fact that everybody else was so gullible and willing to just go and and she was one person that was suspicious everybody's like you're crazy what's wrong with you home girl we're going to a utopia wow it's it's all again that whole thing of you know when you're looking in somebody else's backyard for what's better and what you have is already fine exactly it's like you know earth is pretty we have no disease you gave us a bunch of technology we all have now we have cell phones and flat screen tvs we're not going we were happy on our plan we don't have to go to yours i'm cool here exactly and the fact is that they really didn't have to force them so there was no so i wonder what happened after yeah, that, that that's the end where she just the revelation. It's a cookbook. Kind of just like, and the aliens are like holding her, and she's like trying to get away from them. It's a cookbook. It was wow. so dramatic. It's so good. How brilliantly so, terrible. <laughs> oh my god, how to serve man? Well, the, to me, the, this this speaks to t- talk about uh, privilege. The idea that this superior race from another world, that's a utopia, would come here and they'd have a handbook on how to serve us. Like how to make everything, how to make everything great for humans is crazy. You have to think that you're great to think that this this advanced society would be writing something about how to take care of us and treat us right. 
you know what? But they probably didn't think about that because when you're privileged, you don't think about the fact that somebody else may have more advances than you or whatever the case. You are the pinnacle. Therefore, of course, they would want to come and serve us. Well, the moment they land, the moment they land in their, their intergalactic spaceships and then cure all our diseases in the first five minutes of being here, we should know that something's up. They're not like, serve us. Why would they be serving us? Exactly. Mm, Other than a, for an entree. So, all right. So that had and now to be they honor- have the nice, clean meat to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that had to be honorably mentioned because I was so I was absolutely certain you were going to name that episode. No, so. no, I haven't even seen it. So now okay. that will be on my list. All right. So my favorite episode of all time uh, uh, is time in uh, time enough at last. Have you seen this episode? Uh, describe it. All right. So it begins with like a uh, a, a a man who has like a small life. And um, as, as the funny thing is, as he's moving through the world at the beginning, like people are like they're like kind of people that are uh, uh, anti-war uh, protesters asking him for help or take a flyer. And he's like, get away from me. Leave me alone. <laughs> Losers. And so, <laughs> so he ignores them and gets on with his life. And um uh, he ends up go- getting into going into a I can't remember how it happens but he goes into a vault or something like that anyway and there is a nuclear holocaust and so what happens is every all of humanity has been destroyed except for him so uh and he, but he has never really cared much for people he's always cared for knowledge and books and learning and so now finally he doesn't have to toil at a crappy job anymore he can do what he's always wanted to do he can spend the rest of his life studying reading learning absorbing knowledge and so he starts gathering going to all these like libraries that are like you know the rubble of libraries and stuff like that taking the books that he's always wanted to read but never had the time to and he has all these books around him and all this solitude and he reaches for his glasses and his glasses break Yes, I remember and, that. Yes, and so he can now. He the, the one thing he wanted to do. He has all the time in the world to read, and he can't read because he can't see the books anymore. What a paradox! And so uh, this was the this. You know, I always thought that uh, you know it was clear that Alanis Morissette was the one who invented irony. So, but apparently, tw- the Twilight Zone was being ironic <laughs> even before she was. So. so. <laughs> Don't let me tell you, I I love that episode. And it's like, you know, the fact, the very fact that he was in the vault and that, you know, preserved him. But now it's like, um, I guess if you're the type of person that likes solitude and solace, it's not a big deal. But, you know, you, you have nobody else around. But you have, like you said, all the time in the world to read. You can't even see the. That. Yeah, that's the one thing. The one thing that he wanted, his his dream came true, with not having to work anymore and nobody around to bother him, no annoying people, and now he can, he can be alone with his books and he can't. He's surrounded by books and he can't read one of them. So it's like it's like ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. <laughs> well, it's may- like meeting the man of your dreams, then meeting his beautiful wife. Well, maybe he can uh, feel his way to an optometry store and see if he gets some glasses since nobody's using them anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, good. Hopefully, uh, he'll 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 find his way into an optometry store with his. Well, there's not even a C and I dog because there's no more. He's the last of anything that's alive. So good luck for him. But I, I don't think it works out though, Tachi. Sadly, I don't probably think not. Finds, I don't think he finds. Oh, oh, here's a box of contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. 
Wow. Well, it seems that we've come to the end of another great episode of TV Channeling. Wow. It was uh, such an interesting uh, list. I loved, you gave me some episodes I'm going to definitely have to check out. I am really excited to, to discover some new episodes of The Twilight Zone. And the same with you. The same with you. Um, like I said, especially... Um, the, uh, the episode, you're number two. I've never seen that, so I definitely... Uh, it's how to serve man. So I definitely have <laughs> it's to... It's a cookbook! It's a cookbook, so I definitely have don't to... Go on that, don't go on that ship, Tachi, no! <laughs> no, but you're looking for something better than what you have, so I guess, you know, Rod Sterling was saying that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> No, he oh. was he really was a visionary. We gotta give it up to Rod Sterling. He was the way he looked at things. The only thing that's funny about the episode, some of them when when they take place in the future, they're like, the year is nineteen eighty seven. I know. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't you didn't have any more foresight than nineteen eighty seven? That's what's so, so crazy, the idea that, you know, that that they're they're envisioning, which I guess for them would have been like 25 years in the future or something, which is it, it, the, the, what, what they saw people in jetpacks and stuff. That's one thing that, that's interesting to me when you see like their versions of the future where we all decide to all wear sil- silver space suits and matching space boots in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that kind of vision of the future because when when it comes to getting the future looking right, I feel like the the uh, the science fiction thing that did the best job to me was Minority Report because to me that gave it the, the future will we're not gonna all tear down all our houses and make these silver domes out of nowhere people are still gonna live in houses look like houses now but we're gonna have technology integrated into old into old structures and stuff like that and there's gonna be a blending of the old and new but when you, you watch a lot of these old timey things that what their version of the future is everything is torn, torn down and we all choose silver suits we all drive moon buggies and we <laughs> And we all, uh, you know, and we're all living in like, you know, silver uh, domes or something like that. Well, remember, think about it. They they were the beginning of the disposable society. They were about um, getting rid of the old and, you know, rebuilding. Because, you know, this is all post-war, uh, post-World War Two um, happening, you know, and there's this whole rebuilding and getting rid of stuff. This was the beginning of when TVs were being mass produced and the kitchen of the future and that type of thing. So the thought process was get the hell rid of everything. So as opposed to preservation, <laughs> they were thinking about get rid of any everything. So I think that's kind of where this silver dome, this idea, because we're thinking about get rid of everything old, that's what the future would be like. Oh, exactly. They no, no nobody was re. They, that's before HGTV, so they, they didn't know they could just basically renovate the home and put in a new kitchen, and <laughs> exactly, and keep the rest of the house basically the same. Exactly. That's a newfangled twenty uh, first century idea, apparently. All right, I can't believe we got done with another episode, Tachi, and another great episode. All right, so Tachi, where can people listen to other great episodes of TV Channeling? Take your pick. We are on Stitcher, iTunes slash Apple Music, SoundCloud. We are on Apple, uh, Google Play, not Apple Play, but Google Play. We are on Spotify. Also, tune in radio. You can do a Google search and find us on almost any podcasting app. You can listen to us at tvchanneling.com and the big, big one, we're on wjmsradio.com every Tuesday and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. So no excuses. You've got lots of ways to listen to us. And so maybe you listen and you want to leave us a comment or ask a question. You could do so on social media. And how can they find us, Kevin? 
All right. If you have a question for us, we would love to hear from you. We can even maybe even play your question. You can reach us through the podcasting app Anchor under TV Channeling Reruns. Leave us an audio question and we actually might end up playing it on the show. You can also ask us a, que- a question on all kinds of other platforms like Facebook, on uh, Instagram and Snapchat and my personal favorite, Twitter. So if there is a TV show you'd like to get us to review, let us know. And if if there's something going on in pop culture you want to hear our take on we would love to hear from you and we would love to talk about it so let us know follow us on social and while you're at it what about giving us a positive review on uh, any of those audio platforms you happen to listen to us on absolutely and subscribe because we love for you to hear what we have to say first it'll drop you just subscribe and it'll show up for you no no questions asked so, and it's free to subscribe too. Oh. We we used to charge like a hundred dollars, but now we're you know what we've slashed the price down to nothing. And if you believe that, but only for I you have guys, a silver... only, only for the real fans of TV channeling, the price has been slashed to zero dollars and zero cents. Wonderful, and it comes with one of those nifty silver domes you can live in. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys. Jetpack extra. Jetpack is extra, exactly. And thank you so much for listening to us and hanging with us. It is because of you we do this and it is not lost. You could be listening to a lot of other podcasts, but you chose ours. So thank you. And with that, we're going to sign off in the method which we always sign off. Bye from Tachi. And goodbye from Kevin. And remember, if you're watching it, we're talking about it in In the the twilight zone. Yes, inside a silver dome. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Dystopian. <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback from the last episode. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye.